the shorter young people had some amazing songs earlier, and then a, a very tall young person had more wonderful music. Thank you so much. God is truly blessing us today. Let's have a word of prayer that uh, God can linger a bit longer and bless us some more. Father in heaven, we pause before you once again, asking that you would once again repeat that thing you do so well, and that is communicate with humanity your love and your forgiveness in the package of Jesus. We pray it in your generous name, amen. So we continue through our series on the sanctuary. Today we're going to be looking at the courtyard uh, in various other Bible verses and some stories. Um, We're going to be looking at the courtyard and the sacrifice of Jesus and what that offers us. If you'll start with me in the the, uh, book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah chapter 53, and we'll be starting in verse 6, Isaiah 53, 6. The prophet Isaiah wrote, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, but but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. I don't know if you've ever been to a circus before. It was uh, started back in the late 1700s over in England. Circuses were made famous by Barnum and Bailey. <coughs> did, they, did they have circuses down in uh, Brazil? Did they have circuses down there? Travel down in Brazil? Perhaps, yes? Yeah. <coughs> so circuses, they go all over the place. And uh, I remember when I was a little kid living in the middle of nowhere... Uh, Polson, Montana, and uh, there's probably a whole 5,000 people that lived there at most, and the circus came to town. Oh, we thought that was a big deal, and you're, in, and you're living in the middle of nowhere, and the circus showed up, and, and they, they kind of set up in the fairgrounds on the north uh, west side of town, near side of the river, and they put up these huge tents, and and, and our parents gave us some money, and so we got to go to the, the circus, and, and they, they, you know, they do all the cool stuff inside those tents, and, and uh, people would be riding on the back of a horse, standing up as the horse is doing these tricks, and they're just standing on the horse as the horse does tricks, and they blow fire out of their mouth, and in some circuses, they'll look like they're swallowing swords, and and um, they'll walk up on that high wire. It's like, what's so high up there? How are they doing that? And the rope just looks like it's, you know, really small or the wire or whatever they're on. And, and other times they'll, they'll swing and someone will do like, you know, two, three, four, five flips to the air. <laughs> and then all of a sudden over here, someone's swinging on this tiny little ladder, on this little tiny little um, uh, swing. We'll swing over as they're doing flips, and they catch them. It's just like, oh, my word, how do they do these things? 
just one cool thing after another, and elephants will do tricks. Um, if you paid extra money, which one time I had the privilege of doing, my parents gave me a little extra money. And uh, <laughs> when, the, when the circus is over, you go outside, and you could ride in the elephants, and they're so big, and, and their, their skin is so dry and so just hard. And you could pet baby tigers. I got to pet baby tigers. Um, they look so soft and so cuddly, but the hair is really coarse and rough. Um, uh, but one of the things that really just blew my mind as a little kid is, is you see just a teeny glimpse of the picture there, how this little guy would be in a cage with a fierce tiger with nothing but a chair. This little guy in a cage, fierce tiger, he's got a stool, he's got a chair. Tigers, you know, they average 12 feet long, twice what I am, and they average 700 pounds, three, four times my weight. They're faster than humans, they're stronger than humans, their teeth, their, 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 um, their claws, they could kill people in a blink of an eye. And here's this little guy in a cage with a stool and this fierce tiger. And I don't have all the, you know, I don't know all the answers, and there, there might be more, but when I got older, I read somewhere that one of the things uh, why these, uh, these people always brought the chair is that supposedly the tiger, when they saw the four legs, they, they were, um, oh, what, what's the word we could use? Distracted is the word of the day, distracted. And that the tiger would, would see all four legs and they would kind of, should I watch out for the chair, the person, this leg, that leg, there's four, there's four legs in the chair, and, and it distracted them. And so in that context, this person was able to, to get the tiger to do what it wanted because it was distracted. Even though the tiger was much stronger, could kill the person any moment, but the person was smart and knew how to distract the tiger. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, if you want to turn with me in your Bible or smartphone. Paul writes, Romans 5, verse 6 and following, while we were still helpless, some of your translations may say powerless or without strength, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good man someone might dare die. But God demonstrates his love towards us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Christ. And here's that phrase again. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more than having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. Paul, in these short verses here, he keeps repeating the phrase over and over and over again, while we were, while we were sinners, while we were helpless, while we were without strength, while we were incapable of keeping all of his commandments or even one or two, while we were at our worst, 
enemies, he puts it in one of the verses. While we were in that condition, God demonstrated his love in an action. And he died for us at the cross so we don't have to be permanently separated from God. He didn't wait for us to do anything amazing, to be good, to prove our worth, to, to twist his elbow to show, well, certainly we should consider Jennifer because look, we look, look what she just did. Especially us, this is Paul writing a few years after uh, Jesus had been crucified. We're here now alive approximately 2,000 years later. Jesus died at the cross and we weren't even alive. Not only did Jesus die while we were sinners, we hadn't even been born yet to sin. And Jesus knew, oh, I know you're coming and when you're born in 2,000 years, you're gonna blow it a few times. I'm gonna die for you anyway. So you could almost say Jesus died before we were sinners, knowing that while we sinned, he was still going to have this before us anyway. And throughout history, throughout history, regardless of the nation, the skin, of the, the color of the skin, the income, the language, in church, out of church, too many people throughout history have been distracted. Too, too many people throughout history have been distracted and they don't realize that God is nice or good or kind or patient or helpful or thoughtful or that he wants to make your life better or that he forgives freely or that you have the privilege to live for eternity simply if you like and accept Jesus by faith. God has been sharing this plan clearly with humanity since the days of Adam and Eve. And yet still so many people get distracted, they, they miss it. History shows that, the Bible shows it, research shows it, surveys show it. It's so prevalent, I have people tell that to me in my own church, in my own denomination. I've had people so desperate to actually get Jesus. I've taught small groups before, sometimes with over 40 people in them. And we know what it's like to be humans. We always want to look good, say face, not admit where we're struggling. <laughs> I've been in small groups sometimes where people would literally stand up in the group and, and literally said, week after week, different people, I don't want to leave this room until I know for sure that I am actually saved with Jesus. And these were people who were born and raised in your denomination. And as adults, they said with shaking voices and tears running down their face, I don't want to leave this room today unless I know for sure that I actually have hope to be saved in Jesus. Lots of things should go through our mind. One of the things that go through my mind is what are we doing as a, as a group of human beings? We just collected the offerings. The offerings, the boys did an awesome job of helping collect the offerings. This church soon will be bringing in over half a million dollars 
lots of offerings as well. You paid for fancy carpet and chairs, remodeled this building. In the last year or so, you've spent over $100,000 to remodel this wonderful campus that God gave us. But how haunting, how sad, how depressing, how frustrating that would be to be one of the wonderful, amazing people that sit here and actually not know that Jesus likes you. Fantastic stain, beautiful carpet, really nice cushion on the chairs, right? We got nice cushions on the, the old ones that we had were over 30 years old, no cushion. God does not want people to be sitting here or anywhere to not know that God likes you. Jesus died so you don't have to spend your life beating up yourself trying to convince God to like you. And yet this happens all around the world every day and it's been happening for about 6,000 years. Human beings are distracted and they miss the most important thing in the entire universe. And everybody, as we read in Isaiah 53, can get distracted in their own way. Some are, a lot of Americans are distracted by getting an education. Judas had one of those. Some people are distracted by money. Some people are distracted by sex. Some are distracted by gambling. Some are distracted by sports. <clears throat> Some are distracted by good times. Some people are distracted by bad times. Some people are distracted by being healthy, you know. They put more time into the gym and in one weekend than they spent listening and talking or reading their Bible and being connected with Jesus in an entire year. It's so easy for human beings to get distracted. We can get distracted in so, 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 so many ways. And my personal opinion is the most dangerous, the most dangerous, the most destructive way to be distracted is through religion. If you're distracted by gambling, at some point you can realize, oh, even atheists don't think you should lose your house by gambling. Hey, maybe I want to have a little course correction here. Or even atheists, I've got neighbors, you know, and some of them are like, hey, maybe I should not be cheating on my spouse. And some of these things, you know, we can kind of realize, oh, hey, maybe I should introduce, I just saw some little kids go by. Maybe I should not work 95 hours a week. I should, those, oh, those are my kids. Hey, I should maybe spend some time at home. And some of those things can kind of, you know, straighten out easier than others. But what do you do if your distraction is religious? Meaning, what if your understanding of God is not actually Christ-centered or biblical? It'd be really hard to pry you away because your perception would be you're hanging on to God. This is what the Jews did. They're hanging on to something that, well, there was Jesus over there and they wanted to kill him. They're hanging on to something that was highly religious, but they didn't like God. 
And they wouldn't let go because they thought they'd lose their salvation. While in reality, salvation was in the form of Jesus right over here and they didn't want it. Because their perception of God and God himself were two different things and they were more comfortable hanging on to God. Their perception versus the actual real biblical Jesus himself. Which is why I say one of the most dangerous, one of the best things humanity's ever had is Jesus applied and understood correctly. Man, there's nothing like it. You could burn people and torture them and they wouldn't quit because they love Jesus and they're real clear on what's reality. <clears throat> but as you can see through history and our own lives, including the Bible, the most destructive thing that's ever come upon the earth is, is Bible religion done wrong. I, I, I learned these things even when I was going to atheist school growing up. When they talked about the Crusades, Crusade One and Two, and as these religious people were just slaughtering people, thinking they were doing God a favor. Imagine that. Imagine that. The religious distraction where you hurt people and you make God look terrible, but you think you're doing yourself, other people, and God a favor. I'll give you a real-life example. These two people are dead today. My mentor, his name was Bill. He was a pastor for a while in Las Vegas. <laughs> he was uh, born and raised in Australia uh, with atheist parents. The only time he ever mentioned uh, God's name was when he was cursing, and uh, like most of the people I hung out with when I was growing up. And um, uh, anyway, um, he ended up... Uh, about the time he was graduating high school, they decided to accept Jesus, which is another story for another day. And he was in New Guinea for a while and doing missionary stuff there. And, and uh, then God sent him over to be a minister in Las Vegas. He used to say this joke that he just went from one jungle in New Guinea to another jungle. It was Vegas. And uh, still craziness of humanity, just different. Um, instead of little short people running around with hatchets trying to kill each other and be cannibals, they were in Vegas now and you know, killing themselves with drugs and alcohol and prostitution, all kinds of other nonsense. Anyway, so he was at Avenus Church there in Vegas. And this one church member of his, this woman, um, she um, would call, it was back before cell phones, and she would call their house many times. Too many times that if, if I'd shared, you'd think I was exaggerating. And so I'll, I won't share the number and, but, the, but his wife was so concerned and frustrated, they, she would keep getting the, the number changed at the house so she couldn't call. But as a, as a faithful church member, she always found a way to find out what their phone number was. So she'd keep calling again and again. I mean, it's like a lot. Anyway, as we all do, humans, we're really good at hurting ourselves and people around us as we think, man, this is, good. This is a great idea. I'm going out clubbing today. This is going to go really well. And so we have these amazing ways of making terrible choices, thinking we're doing good choices. Anyway, so she had the same disease. It's called sin. So she hurt herself and the people around her and the church. And some people would go around in the dark. It's kind of like, I don't get it. What's the problem? Sometimes we act like we don't, you know, it's not solvable in Jesus. But anyway, one day um, she called up, uh, one, one day she called up my mentor, Bill, and it was Sunday morning, 6 a.m. in the morning, I think 5, 6 in the morning. And so he, you know, gets the 
fallen out of the side of his bed <coughs> too, early, <coughs> too early and too many years ago. And so there was no such thing as caller ID back then. Hello. And anyway, it's her. She's awake and all excited, you know. And you'll never guess where I'm at, she said. <laughs> Who is this? And, oh, it, it was so-and-so. And he, she said her name. Oh, it's, you know, it's early. What are you calling this early in the morning for? You'll never guess where I'm at. I'm at church and I'm having the best time, she said. said, How did you get into church? It's like Sunday morning, like five, six in the morning. She said, well, after potluck yesterday, she said, I hid. And I've been hiding here in church the whole time. She says, I'm in your office. She's, can you hear it? She said, because uh, he was from Australia and lived in New Guinea for many years and he liked plants and stuff anyway. She said, can you hear it? I'm dumping out all of your potted plants. And he liked books. He had you know, a bunch of fancy degrees and so he liked books. And she said, can you, can you hear it, Bill? Can you hear it? She said, I'm dumping out your plants and I'm, I'm tearing out the pages of your favorite books. Are you coming, are you coming down, Bill? And he says, no, and he hung up the phone and he went back to bed. Several hour, hours later, he, he woke up and he went to the office and sure enough, she was uh, an accurate prophet. It was a, a destruction. So he called her up and said her name and he said, hey, why don't you slip on down to the office? Maybe we can chat. You wanted me to be here, I'm here, and, and uh, let's talk. So she came to the office, and long story short, they talked. And uh, fortunately, he was thinking clearly that day, which is good when we do that, amen? <coughs> he was thinking clearly that day, and he didn't get distracted by the plants or the books or that he was the pastor. He focused on Jesus which gets to be a rare thing these days. And uh, anyway, long story short, she, uh, she said, oh, I hate him. And then Bill's like, oh, there's so many options. Who, who, do you, <laughs> who do you hate? She said, oh, I just hate him so. And he said, uh, who do you hate so bad that you would do all of this and keep hurting yourself day after day because hurting yourself is not helping this person you're so angry at because your bad choices are just hurting you. It's not hurting the person that you say you're angry at. See, oh, I just hate him so. I hate God, she said. So Bill, so why is it you hate God so bad? What's God done that's wrecked your experience? She said, well, when I was a little girl, if I made a mistake, my dad would, we'd get home and he wouldn't let me eat lunch and he'd make me stay in my church dress and my church shoes and he'd lock me in a closet. And as a person who, 
how can we put it kind but clear, who has kind of 28 doctrinal things aligned just the way you align things. That person, that daddy would go by the closet every once in a while, make sure she's awake. It's good to be clear, right? Good to communicate. And he would say, according to this daughter who's now grown, this, this is how God treats little girls who misbehave. How's your faith? Those who have been here over four years, like myself, know that if you're looking for a church with jokes, you came to the wrong one. How's your faith? Imagine if we got out our smartphones and we took a real cool, modern little survey. How many think the, the story the pastor just told is bad and you wouldn't want to do it? We'd all vote, I'm sure 100% of us, yeah, that's bad, I don't want to do it. Well, ask yourself the next time you make a mistake, you, not, not that person or that one or, or you know who, but you, next time you make a mistake, how do you treat you? Not your parents, not your spouse, not your... How do you treat yourself when you've just simply had one of those moments where you're a human? Like the Apostle Paul himself said, man, I know I should have done or said this. Ah, and I did that. Ah, what was I thinking? Ah, I had one of the, another one of those moments, says the Apostle Paul. It's in the Bible. The adventurers here, they could even quote the verse because they're memorizing it. But when those moments happen, and unfortunately they happen to every human being, including me, what do you do? Do you find some creative, religious, toxic, cancerous way to lock yourself in a stupid little closet and treat yourself like trash? And then trying to convince yourself that this is good and healthy, that makes God happy and is going to make your life better. It doesn't do any good for that dad to put his daughter in there, and it doesn't do any good for you to put yourself in it. She was young. She was small. She was a girl. He was an adult. He was daddy. She had a hard time stopping it physically. You don't have to put yourself in that closet. You don't have to put yourself in the closet. The good news is God doesn't even want you to put yourself in the closet. And yet people all around the world, and I'm talking church people, do it all the time and they think they're doing God a favor. Some denominations, that's literally in their doctrine. They think that's a good idea. Though that is not in your doctrine, I bump into lots of people who are Seventh-day Adventist, 
who think it's okay, though. And not only okay, it's highly recommended. If we treat ourselves really bad, maybe, 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 hopefully, God will see that we're really serious and might maybe forgive us if I treat myself poorly enough. Isaiah 53, 6, all, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have went to their own little way. Sure, everyone has their own little fun little ditch to fall into and get dirty. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The question is, as you go through your life, what are you choosing to focus on? You're focusing on yourself or are you choosing to focus on him? When the Israelites were supposed to go into the sanctuary, <clears throat> when they went into the sanctuary, the, they brought their little lamb and they went into the sanctuary in the courtyard and, the, and they, they had to kill the lamb and, and then they cut it up and they got it burned. Everybody knew, everybody knew. Barb did it again. Like Barb's carrying the lamb. Yeah, we know. Yeah, Joshua, he's, he's got a lamb. He did it you know, again. And you couldn't hide it because they had to go to the courtyard and they had to carry a lamb so everybody knew. But the focus was, when they got in there, it's quite clear, the focus was, is this lamb perfect? Is there a spot? Is there a blemish? Is this lamb perfect? It's almost to the point of, I wouldn't say rude, but I'm trying to over-exaggerate for the point of illustration. Almost to the point of rude, the priests were like, let me look at the lamb, lift up the tail, look at the legs, look at the face. You try not, ears, let me see, you hide inside. Is this a perfect lamb? And it's almost like the sinner would be like, you know, I'm a person, I'm here, you know. I know, I know, but the focus isn't you. We're wanting to see if the lamb that, that's here, that's the sacrifice, the focus we're seeing if the lamb is perfect because the focus wasn't on the sinner. Everybody knew the person was a sinner. That's why they were bringing the sacrificial lamb. And yet it's so easy for humans today to get it the other way around. It's like, well, I know that Jesus was around here somewhere. I um, think my grandmother always, you know, sends me little things to remind me, but I, I think I've lost him. But boy, we're really good at putting ourselves down. The focus in the courtyard is supposed to be on the sacrificial lamb, not the sinner. Everybody knows we've sinned. Atheists know we've sinned. Your enemies know you've sinned. No human's perfect. The focus is supposed to be on Jesus, the lamb. Imagine that little girl I just told the story about. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, Imagine how that weighed on her to have her religious church-going dad feed her a religious lie and a terrible distraction. He was training her all the time to focus on herself and her behavior instead of focusing on Jesus. Talk about a distraction, and it really damaged her. 
My question for you is as you go through life day after day, what are you focusing on? Are you choosing to focus on Jesus' sacrifice so you can know 100% that the Bible's full all over the place where it says Jesus forgives us? Are we focused on Him or are we finding some way to focus on ourselves? Growing up in Montana, I surrounded by people in the community and in church. Uh, it seemed like every year the list would grow. <coughs> I didn't <coughs> make a deal, big deal about it then, but it just, for whatever reason, stuck in my mind. Um, people in church and out, you know, every once in a while as you go through life, you'll, you know, people share things and people would talk about this thing called the unpardonable sin. And, uh, but I always found it amazing, according to the Bible, it's just one thing. It's not plural. It's just the unpardonable sin, not sins with an S on the end, just one thing. And yet, I'd bump into some people and they thought it was adultery. Then that's unforgivable. Other people thought, well, if you're just having a honeymoon with too many people and the wrong people, that was it. And other people thought, no, it's if you're, if, it's if you're gay. Um, we could say that word back then when I was younger, but now... We're supposed to use other words, but that, that's what some people thought. Well, it's like, well, that's the unpardonable. It's, it's that, it's, it's, the rain, it's those rainbow, you know, it's that. Other people thought, no, no, it's, it's if you murder somebody. And other people thought, no. And everybody had their own personal opinion of, of what the unpardonable sin was. And other people, you know, get really religiously creative. No, 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 it's, it's if you curse, but, but if you curse, but if, if, your wor- if your curse words specifically have the, the Holy Spirit in it, if you're just cursing, you know, I played with tons of people, they'll curse God's name and Jesus' name, you know, but if you curse with the Holy Spirit's name, now he's got boundaries and he doesn't go for that, so he won't forgive. It's like, what are we, what are we doing here? This is just... And so many different people in and out of church have their own little list of what the unpardonable sin was based on how they feel or their own personal opinion, not the actual Bible. Uh, it just always amazed me. Anyway, so I did a little study on it myself. And I'd encourage you later, if you have some free time, you can look. It's uh, Matthew chapter 12, uh, especially like the first 32 verses. That's where it talks about the unpardonable sin. It's really quite amazing. I kind of go through the study in one of my uh, studies, the, the Christ to Me study. And it's really quite amazing how in the context of Matthew 12, how uh, Jesus, as he always is, is simply consistent, kind, and helpful, solving problems. And, and it starts with him walking through a wheat field and some of the church people from the, not all, but some of them from the first remnant um, were, were basically trying to tell God what's right and what's wrong. And it's a growing epidemic. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that. <clears throat> people trying to correct God where he's right and where he's wrong. And so they're doing that with Jesus. And so as Jesus continued to just be helpful, kind, and meeting needs, doing miracles, teaching Bible principles, they kept getting more angry and more angry. God was consistent and kept helping. They got more angry. God kept being consistent and helpful, doing miracles, and they kept getting more angry. To the, and they, just, they were setting traps, and he slipped through the trap. He went to church on Saturday, and they'd set more traps, and he'd do some miracles. They set more traps. And it just kept getting worse to the point that it literally says in that context they wanted to kill him. Well, what does God do? He's consistent. He's kind. He's loving. He's still helpful. They're trying to kill you. God kept doing what he does. And it got to the point where they're like, the only 
person that can be doing these kind of consistent, helpful, thoughtful things of solving needs and doing miracles and helping people has got to be Satan. Um, and so that was their thinking. This has got to be Beelzebub. This has got, you're doing it because of the spirit of Satan. And um, so they literally were accusing him of being Satan. And that's the context of the unpardonable sin. And if you also go to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, uh, near the end, it's quite clear Jesus himself says, hey, when I send the Holy Spirit, when I send the Comforter, he's only going to do three things. And basically, you put it simply, the, you know, receiving the Holy Spirit, it's not complicated, it's not long, it's not a mystery. All the Holy Spirit does is simply give you Jesus. Um, and even says it in the context of the sanctuary, in three sections, Jesus' um, death, resurrection, and judgment. And so another way of putting it is basically the Holy Spirit puts Jesus' thoughts, feelings, actions, and motives in your brain. So you're growing closer to him and you actually act like him. So it's, it's not complicated. <clears throat> and so that's, that's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit does is simply give people Jesus. So here's the problem with the unpardonable sin. <clears throat> if, you, if, if Jesus wants to take a step closer and you take a step back and Jesus comes closer and you take a step back, Every time Jesus tries to get closer to help, if you keep moving back, it's kind of hard for God to help you. Uh, meaning, because the Holy Spirit, with his spirit, is going to try to share Jesus' forgiveness. But if you're distracted and you don't trust Jesus, you'll never let Jesus get close enough to forgive you. That's why it's unpardonable, because you don't trust him to forgive and that was their issue. They were so distracted by churchy religious stuff that when Jesus walked in the room, they were so distracted by churchy religious stuff, they didn't even like Jesus. They thought he was the devil. How's that happen? By people who are highly distracted religiously. They thought it was a really good weekend when they all voted to kill Jesus because they got so religiously distracted and talk about confusion. Isaiah 53, <clears throat> verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way but the Lord has caused the iniquity, it's a fancy word for sin, mistakes. But the Lord has caused all of these things, our iniquity, to fall on him. Life can be very distracting, to put it lightly, right? Good stuff and bad stuff. The question is, what are we choosing put our focus on. In closing, I'll share one more story, <clears throat> a story I've shared often in small groups, in private, I've even shared it at weddings, I've shared it at a funeral, I, I, I've shared it in a sermon here before, but to me it's just one of those things that just it's spoke to me so profoundly. Um, it's probably a commercial I, I saw 10, 12, 13 years ago. This commercial was a, a, an American woman. She went, uh, 
this woman probably wasn't Adventist, but she um, went into a, a, a meat market and she was picking out steaks because her husband had reached out to her and said, hey, I, I'm, I'm inviting a coworker over. Can you slip by the store and pick something up and put something together? <laughs> so the wife, she slips by this local meat market and she picks out some steaks. And um, being a typical American, she's super busy and distracted. And so um, as the butcher is weighing the steaks and wrapping them as he does and... Um, uh, because they sell it by the pound, those who are vegetarians, they, they weigh the steak. And so as he's doing all the fancy stuff, she's looking in all the, in all the glass and she's, cause she's pretty sure that he's going to do it again next week because this is what he does. And, and they're busy Americans, you know, they got it, they always got their calendar full of stuff they shouldn't. And so she's looking around the store and, and, and she looks at him, oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm behind, I'm late. It's easy to get behind, right, and be late. And so she, that was, oh, I'm late again. And so she, the door's right here, just instinctively. Oh, I'm late. So she grabs a handle, opens up the door, and she's heading out to her car. You know, she's an American. She's got somewhere to go. We always got somewhere else to go other than sitting at the foot of the cross. And, and um, uh, so anyway, she's walking, you know, uh, purse, and she's, you know, in her high heels, of course, and she's walking to her car. And, <laughs> and then the camera goes back to the inside the butcher shop, uh, and the butcher's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, it's like, you can tell he's kind of thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And so uh, he runs to the door. It's all he, all he can think of. Opens up the door, uh, or you know, opens up the door, and he's, hey, hey, he's trying to get her attention. And of course, he's this big, it's, it's, it's Hollywood, it's commercial, it's, and so it's cliche. He's this really big guy. He's got an apron on, it's covered in blood because he's a butcher. He's got a knife because he's a butcher. So he's standing at the door with blood on and waving a knife, yelling at a woman, hey, hey, that's not a good idea. She didn't think so, of course. Now she's speeding up. She's running as fast as she can in her heels. And, and he's, to, to, to use my word, not my words, to use a Bible word, this guy decided to go the extra mile, how Jesus says that in the book of Matthew. So he goes running out in the parking lot, of course, because it's, television, a commercial, a car comes in the parking lot, shines its light on him. So his shadow goes up against the building. It looks like he's two, three stories tall. He looks even bigger. And of course the, the, the light shines on his knife. And so, you know, now they're, if you're paying attention, they're starting to subtly start to play that scary music that, you know, um, always makes it seem more scary because that's scary music. You know, I don't recommend watching scary movies. I don't watch scary movies, but it is amazing. If you just mute it, it's like, oh, well, everything is, it's fine. It's amazing what music will do, but anyway. So, and they're starting to play the scary music, and she's going to her purse. She drops her keys, of course. She picks them up, gets them in the door, and he's there. And the human mind is telling you, big guy, knife, blood, innocent female, because all females are so innocent and barely sinful, and we're blessed to have them in our lives, and, and, and all this is just going to be, and the commercial is about a credit card. Oh, if you just had their credit card. Oh, They're, they go the extra mile because they, even the credit card companies know and they have nothing to do with Jesus. They're American. They just want your money. But even they know. Ooh, we are distracted. Oh, are we distracted? But if we just had their credit card, when we get distracted, they'll go the extra mile and look out for you. 
He brought out her meat. He brought her credit card. He brought the receipt. He said, oh, I didn't want you to. I know you're distracted and you're busy. You got so much going on. We care and we want to help you. This earth is full of people and so are churches. I don't care what denomination you pick. Full of human beings who are distracted. Even good stuff can be distracting. Even wonderful stuff can be distracting. God's encouragement to you, I'm not the Savior, I need this just like you do. God's encouragement to all of us is don't be so distracted that you miss that you do what the majority of the world has done, according to the Bible, miss Jesus. You can disagree. <coughs> My understanding is this is full. I don't care what denomination you're a part of. This book is full of religious people mostly. Not atheists, not agnostics, not Hindus, not Muslims. This is predominantly about people like us that thought, well, I'm making just awesome choices with God. Well, I don't know, last time I checked, everybody before the flood knew God was real. They could see angels standing at the Garden of Eden. They all knew God was real. I get on the boat. God's got great plans for you. Hop on the boat. There was eight. Eight. Kindergartners can count to eight, especially first graders. Most historians say there was about two billion people living before the flood. Wonder what happened to all those people that was just so sure they were making, accepting God every day. We're going through the sanctuary series. You know, those million people that were, God is doing miracles. I mean, Moses was a prophet. I mean, if we actually had a prophet that had dreams and visions that spoke clearly in what God intended, we'd listen to that. Well, I don't know, Moses and Miriam were both prophets, and last time I checked, uh, Joshua and Caleb made it to the land of milk and honey. And God destroyed their, their version of America with, with gnats and frogs. And they walked out of town. And then a few years later, they decided God was a problem. So they never made it out of the desert. Because they got distracted. They didn't like their food. They didn't like their tent. They didn't like the sand. Oh, if we could get rid of Moses. Moses is a real problem. And they had lots of problems. And they were very distracted. I highly encourage you, do not be one of those religious people who finds amazing ways to get distracted. I'm just tempted to think God is actually communicating to your brains this morning, tapping you on the shoulder, saying, see, that's, this is what I meant Wednesday when we had that talk. When you woke up Tuesday morning, this is what I meant. 
Remember that conversation a week ago? Ding, 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 ding. God is painfully good at communicating. The only challenge is, are we willing to listen by faith? Listen by faith. God already likes us. He's already forgiven us. He's already told us all over the Bible that he wants to live with us forever and ever and ever. In closing, our closing scripture here is Psalm 103, Psalm 103, verse 10 through 14. It says, God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who respect him. As far as the east is from the west, as far, that's how as far as he's removed our sin from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who respect him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are made of dust.